Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the game podcast from the Times on a morning that was made for office debates. Who's killing football? The game's gone. Better known as I'm watching rugby from now on. Pep's a fraud, aka City must buy. Also known as Jamie Vardy channels the agelessness of Dorian Gray. So much to discuss with Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd and Matt Dickinson. Hello, guys. Hello. How are we? Hi. I'm good. I'm good. I just want to let everyone that's expecting us to talk about Manchester United to know that if you want us to uh, want to hear us dissecting their performance, you can listen to last Monday's podcast where it pretty much was copy and paste. Um, we're not going to talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and, and that handball and that penalty, but there will be much more to do with that later on in the podcast. We're starting instead with Manchester City and their 5-2 defeat at home by Leicester. Uh, Henry Winter writing in the Times, uh, Leicester City's counter-attack masterclass had exposed City's weaknesses. I didn't really see it that way. I think City were half-hearted in their performance. I, I don't think we saw the best of them. I think their press was poor. Mendy and Tielemans in the midfield easily bypassed that threat. Barnes and Madison at times. Uh, Madison when he came off the bench and Barnes before that. You know, we're just walking onto the back four. And even though the defenders will be criticised at Manchester City, as they always are, I'm not really sure it was a back four issue and more of a team defensive display. And certainly the midfield area was poor. Um, there will be credit to Leicester given later on, by the way. So Leicester fans, do, please do stay tuned. Uh, guys, what did you make of it? It's worrying for Manchester City. Uh, 10 defeats in their last 36 Premier League games. Yeah, I think I think you're you're probably right. I don't think it's fair to say it was just a kind of a counter pressing performance from Leicester. Um, I think you're right. City's press is not is not what it once was, and I think if teams are brave enough now to try and play through it, which Leicester certainly were, then they can, you know, they can benefit from that. I think I think there's so there is a, there's a sort of systemic question mark about City at the moment, but there is also. You know issues about the defence. I think, you know, if you if I'm just looking back at some of Manchester City's defensive recruitment, and it's really pretty shambolic for the last few years. Um, you know, John Stones, Mendy's, Mendy's doesn't look like the player he was after his injuries. Uh, you know, Zinchenko, I'm sure they would let go. Otamendi is on his way. Cancelo, 50 million fullback, who's really not lived up to that. Uh, Angelino, they've sent out on loan. I just don't think 
And I don't think Nathan Aki is the, is, is the kind of saviour after all of that, you know, pretty pretty poor recruitment defensively. Danilo. Um, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, Laporte, Laporte is, the, is the one shining light, really, in all that. And I think, so there are issues, personnel issues, defensively, but also kind of systemic issues as well, I think. I think you're right as well, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, it was the lack of intensity. I think you mentioned, Hugh, that really st struck out that it was that, you know, we're so used to seeing City harass, you know, not just be beautiful footballers like De Bruyne, but they're capable of, you know, like Barcelona were at their best, where they they pester you into mistakes. And I just don't see it was the opposite, wasn't it? It was Leicester pestering City into, into endless mistakes. And that's... That was what was so startling. It was, um, and you know, every time you saw a defender, a City defender turned, which was, you know, ex extremely frequently, they were, you know, making terrible mistakes on the back of it. And I mean, when you can see three penalties at home, then um, yeah, then then things are going pretty wrong. So I think it was it was so many, and and the the greatest irony, of course, I think, is that clearly Pep was looking for a solution in playing the two screening players and that backfired completely and when you see Fernandinho taken off replaced by a teenage striker in a sort of bizarre throw of the dice then it was just sort of you know it went from bad to worse. I think City are weirdly one-dimensional even when they were storming the Premier League and no one could keep up with them when they did falter they faltered really badly you know, when they were good, they were very, very good. And when they were bad, they were horrid sort of thing. It's as if if one thing goes wrong for City, the whole the whole beautiful system collapses. And I felt that Leicester, whether they knew it or not, identified that as a weakness. So all you, basically, from now on, all anyone wants to do when they're facing City is maybe, maybe play five at the back. It doesn't necessarily have to be that. But if, it's, if it suits you as a team to find a way to frustrate City, keep them at bay for the opening 20 minutes. You might be able to concede a goal. The point is, if you frustrate them, remain confident and then start playing your own game, they, they, will, they will falter. And you had the added problem with City that as soon as it's out the bag that they're uh, mortal and they have uh, injury problems and suspension problems and COVID problems and people missing, they lose their aura. And when... He has to overthink it, just as he did in the Champions League. Pep Guardiola does strange things. So he took off Fernandinho, who you need on the pitch for his experience and his calmness. And he brought on somebody who was 17 years old in Liam Villat. Why would you do that? Because you're overthinking it. That is not going to solve a problem where a team with energy and quite evident self-belief that they could get a result were, were, were hammering away at you. Don't put it on the shoulders of someone who's never been in that position before. So I just feel with City, it's like a pack of cards. You just you just tip the edge and off they go. It's also quite it's quite a kind of familiar pattern now as well. I think Brendan Rodgers was quite explicit afterwards about about their game plan. He said if we will sit in a kind of mid to low block, and also he even raised the question of that was kind of negating the power of the goal the goalkeeper. So sort of utilising the space in behind. Sometimes City, you know, they just launch a ball in behind you if you, if you press them too high. So he said, we didn't want to have that threat. And and then we just had to have the bravery to... Because to, when, when you saw, we're saying Leicester pestered them. They weren't pestering City high up the pitch. It was always really in and around the middle of the pitch. And they would nick the ball and then they had the bravery to play through them. And they also had the kind of the pace of Barnes and Vardy and, and uh, to, to kind of threaten them in behind. So 
it was it was a you've got to give Leicester credit. I mean, yes, they did they did have three penalty kicks that helped, but um, you've got to give Leicester credit for for exposing the kind of you know you can't say you can't say you know like tw the Twitter meltdown that Pep's a bold fraud. He's he's certainly not that, but there is a kind of a subtle shift towards towards the kind of the 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 values of of pressing as being almost more important. You know that 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 philosophy, the kind of German style of football, is kind of edging away edging away from the Spanish side of football. You know, Klopp is the kind of figurehead for that one style of play, and Pep is the figurehead for the other. And there, you know, there is no doubt that the German is in ascendancy. Can I just stick up for bold people at this point? I don't know what, what I mean. You know, if calling, if, if calling him a fraud's not outrageous enough. Calling him a bold fraud, I think, is yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, 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 there's some kind of discrimination going on here. Um, but no, I, I, and also should add that it wasn't so many. I mean, I was going to say weeks, days ago that um, plenty of people, um, maybe even myself, were thinking that you know City were potentially going to win the league. Um, that uh, and and you know you do have to take into account you know you got both strikers missing you've got uh, at least four or five players to come back in you've got Laporte as we've mentioned obviously to come back in and you know he's been the, absolutely their outstanding defender for a couple of years that they and they're just about to spend another 60 70 million uh, on another you know highly highly uh, regarded center half so you know it's um yeah city will recover that's for sure to be, to be complete on this, Matt, I think the criticism is that he's a bald fraud who wears tie-dyed sweatshirts <laughs> as a Premier League manager. Yeah, it should I, be I, yeah well, actually, that, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I'm not, there's not a tie-dyed T-shirt in my house. I can, yeah, I can vouch. I was desperate for Matt there to just be like, what, one of these? And show that he was, he was wearing a tie-dye t-shirt. That would have been an awkward moment. But um, you're right, Ruben Diaz from Benfica coming in. I think it's £65 million rising to a possible 71-odd million pounds. I mean, it's huge money, once again, spent by Manchester City. They've already spent £41 million on Nathan Ake. Um, but there are people saying... <laughs> Lots of people saying, well, look, are we about to see why Pep Guardiola doesn't last longer than three seasons at any team? You know, is it all unravelling? Spending that much time with a manager who is so intense that the players need a bit of a break from, from his kind of personality? I wonder what you think is going wrong um, or if anything is going wrong at Manchester City. I previously, when discussing Manchester United, said a lack of a pre-season, a lack of preparation time on the training ground shouldn't have had such a huge effect. But if you look at Bayern Munich this weekend losing their first game in the Bundesliga 4-1, no less, uh, Paris Saint-Germain lost their first two games back in Liga. Inter Milan conceded three on their first game back in Serie A. Do you think there is a, an element of a lack of prep, prep time that's affected Manchester City? Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the teams who, who are affected worse, most by this is the are the teams who made it made it to the latter stages of European football. So undoubtedly, this season has, has got all the ingredients for being, you know, a season of absolute chaos. You know, the, the sheer volume of games that are going to be squeezed in, um, you know, still uncertainty about there's games below the Premier League have been cancelled because of because of uh, coronavirus. Who knows, that could happen. Um, and as you say, the teams who were, who are at the worst preparation are the teams you would expect to be to be challenging for the title and, and for European places. So, yeah, they've been affected affected as badly as Manchester United, certainly. Um, 
I still, I don't want to break out the tiny violins because, you know, when you hear Pep saying about the number of injuries they have and, you know, I'm going to have to use youth team players. Good. You know, that's a good thing. <laughs> I think he should have used them more in the past. They've got the best academy in the country. Uh, and you saw, you know, Chelsea used some of their players last season and it had a positive effect and the supporters really warmed to that. So, you know, there's nothing wrong. They've got plenty of players to, to call upon. There's, there's, there is a madness in, in, as you say, in the, I mean, pure financials, but when you consider the amount of money they have spent on, on defenders and as you consider that, yeah, as I think most of us sort of thought yeah, with Aki that, hang on a minute, this is looking like 40 million quid for a guy who's going to spend a hell of a lot of time as as uh, first reserve centre-half. Um, and then, you know, where does that leave John Stones sinking? Well, sinking like one. Um, uh, um, you know, it's not... Uh, yeah, they have spent hugely on a defence that is still needing uh, sort of propping up. And that's... Um, yeah, that, that, that doesn't, doesn't say a lot for that part of their scouting. There are people that make the point as well. I saw a few Manchester City fans talking about Pep signings in general. I know you mentioned the defensive signings, but maybe saying the team's being carried by people who Pep didn't sign in the past. Aguero, Company, Silva, De Bruyne, Fernandinho. Does Pep Guardiola have questions to answer about his recruitment further up the, the pitch as well? We're all screwing up our noses. Everyone's grimacing because they've spent loads of money on loads of good players. Yeah, I mean, look, they have they have still got lots of very good players, and they score <laughs> they score a lot of goals. They score a, a kind of unprecedented volume of goals. So I really don't. There's a quality of player argument, and I know that that's the point that you're making, but in terms of the characters in the squad, in terms of that strength of leadership, you know, we mentioned, Alison mentioned Fernandinho being taken off already. Have they brought in anyone else who, okay, they're, they're all elegant footballers, but anyone else that really has that winning element to them other than the players that Pep didn't buy? So, I mean, if you cast your eye around, there are not many of those around. I think Manchester United need someone like that too. Um, I think Chelsea do. Although they signed Thiago, you know, you look at all the players they brought in, they look like really kind of elegant, polite, nimble-footed little attackers. There's not really anyone there that's a leader. So I think that's probably quite a, quite a commonplace, you know, problem at the moment. I'd say, you know, you could, I think you could bring um, Rodri, Rodrigo into this because, like, he was supposed to be the replacement for, for Fernandinho, and at the moment, if he's if he's the kind of the man in the middle, I don't think he looks dynamic enough to, to, to perform that role. So that's another area that, you know, he's, he's cost a lot of money. Um, really, it seems to be at the back that they're struggling to find players who are, who are, who are good enough, really. But Hugh, Hugh you, you're listing players who, who a lot of them aren't there anymore. And then you're, you're, that means you're heaping even more pressure on the established pre-Pep players. So against Leicester... Kevin De Bruyne was really quiet. Now, that he only he can know truly if that's because uh, he was shocked by how good Leicester were, or you know he's entitled to an off day. There's, a, I think we, we we do bleat on about how beautiful a player Kevin De Bruyne is, but we forget that if the pressure on him to perform because of what that does for the rest of the team, um, often I feel they float City because he's. He's spraying around the beautiful passes and reminding them of how elite a team they are and they are inevitably going to win this game because they've got Kevin De Bruyne. And that must be an enormous amount of pressure. And the proof of it is, if he has a deeply average performance, they don't, they don't tick along very well. 
Matt, do you have a view on it? Um, well, I, th- I think the, um, you know, if I had one actually doubt about um, City, well, I guess it was both ends. I mean, obviously, as I say, we, we expect them to sign Diaz to, to, to play with Laporte and shore up the centre-back. But at, at striker, you know, if Aguero at his age and being more injury-prone, you know, Jesus has... A bit like, I guess, a bit like Gregor was saying about uh, Rodri in the middle is that, you know, he's he's been bought as the sort of, you know, the heir to Aguero and uh, has shown sort of, you know, flashes of it, bits of it, but not, you know, without ever, no one ever quite believing that he is, you know, the answer for a team of that good and certainly not Aguero's class. And I guess it's the not dissimilar situation where, you know, you're talking about a clear talent, but not one that's actually sort of ready to carry that sort of huge um, expectation. So, you know, I mean, say we're, we're giving City a fair old kicking here, aren't we, for a team that yeah. say that, yeah. uh, you know, say <laughs> um, I, I'm expecting to, well, certainly, yeah, was expecting, still expecting to give Liverpool a heck of a run for their money. But I think, you know, there's a f- there was a few extraordinary factors about that performance I think there are a few extraordinary factors about the start of this season and I think we're going to see a few upsets like this I think this is we're in an unprecedented time for managers trying to get teams together and and get them bedded in but you know which doesn't mean to say we shouldn't be asking those extra questions as you say about Guardiola and does he tire people out and does he you know what is like the intensity and how does he work in in these unprecedented times I still like your analogy of City having issues at both ends, Matt, to be honest. You decide which end you think their performance uh, reminded you most of, though. Um, let's talk about Leicester City. Pretty good performance from them, shall we say. Um, first time they've won three top flight games for the first time in their history. Brendan Rogers at length to describe a different approach. A different approach being the thing that, you know, that's not necessarily the football he wants to play despite scoring five. Gregor mentioned the low block, the deeper defence element of things. But I thought they were they were excellent, and I think the credit for for the the scoreline must go to them. Um, slightly disappointed that Pep Guardiola said that Leicester had basically come to defend, not to play, especially as they'd scored five goals. Um, what did you make of Rogers' tactics, though? Well, talking of frauds, I guess we should say, you know, um, that, you know, it, 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 maybe um, Alison will get Alison to chip in on this one, but she uh, not been Brenda's greatest fan. But I think, you know, I think he's he's shown many times that he's a serious coach. You know, he's a guy who knows football. Um, you know, he comes, it almost feels obligatory to mention, you know, he comes with certain aspects of him that seem to polarise people. But I think people, you know, it's long overdue that people just give him a, a basic level of of respect that he is, you know, a guy who knows how to coach a football team and knows, you know, how to prey on weaknesses like City showed. So, yeah, uh, you know, he's taken a, Le- a Leicester team that obviously had, you know, the freakiest season ever, but he's making them a different team, a better all-round team, and they're doing it with some pretty shrewd signings. So that Castagna is just the latest in in a, a way to take a, a very good team and and keep improving them. They're, they are, you know, punching their weight and more. It felt personal, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I did, I, I disapproved of 
Brendan Rodgers being manager of Liverpool, and let's leave it at that. But I have, I was live at, I was live at um, Leicester's first two games of this season. Um, and um, they, Burnley and West Brom, and they were, um, and so I only saw the Man City one on telly, but they they are, and I, I did raise the point that they've, what they've done I think properly for the first time since they won the title is they've tapped into how they won the title, which is they they play unashamedly when they can play and they make the most of when they're on the break. I don't think there's a team that plays on the break as thrillingly. They they have um, they have had this amazing ability in the transfer market to sell players for big money and replace them with players we don't know very much about who slot in seamlessly. Um, Matt quite rightly mentioned Castagna. I mean, he scored on his debut and looked like he'd been playing for Leicester for six years. It was quite incredible and he's getting better with each game. I'd rather have him in my team than Ben Chilwell at the moment. And it's bizarre, isn't it? So if you've got that going for you, a, an ability to regurgitate, replenish, not feel diminished by selling uh, the more famous players, if you like, you kept, but you've kept Jamie Vardy there, who's the sort of lifeblood and effervescence of the team. And when you watch them live, they look awfully like they did when they won the title, which is you can't, you can't, you just can't knock them. You can't make them feel like they're outclassed. They have, there's this amazing level of palpable optimism. And that's how the, the Jamie Vardy sort of flicked goal against City. It was outrageous, but you don't score goals like that against City unless you simply don't care who you're playing and you actually believe you've, you've clicked and you've got something magical going. So I think... I think they're going to be hard to stop. They're on. I mean, they're doing better than they started that season that they won the title. So come on, let's 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 imagine that they're going to. Let's think what what it would be that would stop them because it doesn't seem to be much at the moment. I think I think it's more than uh, not caring you play against. I think it's relishing. Vardy relishes playing against them. He scored eight goals against them since Guardiola's been there now. And I was also reading that Messi's the only other player that scored a hat trick against the Pep Guardiola team. So he's get obviously two of them were penalties. That was an exquisite finish, though. Um, and the one two before it again with with Castagna was it was you know it was a strange one. He played it back to to Tielemans, I think, and then made the run forward. And Tielemans played a brilliant sort of incisive pass down the line, and the cutback was perfect. So yeah, I think I think all everything that's been said is true. I think that that Rogers Rogers deserves credit. It was a strange way that Leicester kind of ended last season. That after January they looked like they couldn't really score a goal or they weren't creating the chances in any way, this, like anywhere close to the same uh, volume. Um, and it was hard to really put your finger on why that was. I think Tielemans was someone who came in and made a really big impact at first and then he fell away a little bit. And perhaps it's understandable. Um, but I agree. And, and the, the tactical approach to the game it kind of ties in with what Matt was saying about Rodgers and that he was very keen to explain it afterwards too. You know, he's quite, he's happy to say this was my plan and it was executed very well. Um, but it was. You've got to give him great credit, and and uh, Leicester were excellent. But don't, but don't, don't you you keep you keep saying, Gregor. Uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of penalties in that game. That isn't a negative. That is a positive. They have pace and audacity in the box, and they and they ruffle defenders. That is an asset. Yeah, it is. But I think, you know, we've got enough to argue about with the handball rule today, but I think the number of times that strikers are running across a defender or even just throwing a leg into the kind of groin of a defender and tangling and going over 
it was particularly embarrassing this weekend. There was a number at Brighton, and it, you know, um, I can't remember his name. Connolly is up, up front, and, it, and Aaron Connolly, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, he went down two or three times in that game. There was this weekend was particularly kind of uh, obvious how how much of that is a, now a tactic for strikers because any contact you'll go over. I think I think one of the penalties was probably fair for Leicester, but I think I think probably. Uh, you know, the, the second one was a little bit, a little bit harsh, personally. I know we digress slightly, but I do agree with you on that, Gregor. There's this sort of element of anyone that's played netball that if you just you're running full tilt and you suddenly stop, and the person who's chasing you collides, like touches you in the back, and suddenly it's a foul, which is fine in that sport, but in football I think is a bit weird. But it seems to be a new technique of getting across your man, digging your studs into the ground, stopping abruptly, and then you know initiating the contact with the person behind you but clearly looking like you've been barreled over it's coming in more and more but listen we'll have a lot of penalties this season Matt you've got a view as no, well no I was just saying I'm, I've seen even the saintly uh, Harry Kane does that doesn't he in these days it's just that you know where I think he did it against Arsenal last season was it and he's done it a couple of other games as you say where you just do that check and just wait for wait for the bang, and that is one of the yeah. Uh, let's not start the VAR chat. Let's not go too early. Let's not go too early on that. But uh, you're right. But you know there is a bit of skip. But I disagree on the Leicester one. I, you know I think that was you know they that was clearly you know tactical of just work. You know Vard. I mean we know Vardy is the probably the best best in the league at it. It's just his ta- you know he's just a guy who's very smart about timing runs, about getting on the shoulder, and about particularly targeting the blind side of of a run of, of you know Garcia. He was just you could just see just like he basically you know schooled school the kid in in what it's like to be blindsided with all these runs. It was put to me yesterday though that Premier League players are not being penalised for when they do dive. So when we when VAR sees that a player has clearly gone down very easily, they don't say you need to book that player for diving. Um, and I think because there's been no real scrutiny or punishment for those attempting to dive, it's encouraging players to do it more and more because Connolly easily could have had a red card against Manchester United, but he didn't get booked for any of those. So I don't, I don't believe so anyway. So if there's no deterrent, it will continue. Absolutely. It's not for, it's not for yellow card offences. That's that's you know, and if you start doing some yellow card offences, then that's you know, we could do that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not saying uh, you know, I'm I'm on the argument that diving should be punished, but I, again, down if you go down the, the VAR road for that, then do you say that's the only yellow card offence that you punish, and then you're opening up a whole new can of worms, as if as if we need another can of worms? Yeah, to, uh, uh, we've uh, opened up the VAR can of worms already, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, yeah, in lockdown, cans of, cans of worms are going, uh, going strong, aren't they? <laughs> I did want to mention one more thing on Leicester City. Jamie Vardy's performance, because of course he gets the headlines for scoring a hat-trick. Gregor, you'll mention there were a couple of penalties in there. And I was, I was sort of wrecking my brain to say, what, what, what superlatives can we put in about Jamie Vardy's performance? And, and all I could think was it was completely expected. It's exactly what you think he would be doing approaching that game. I mean, what was on the the film? What were Manchester City watching in terms of their prep? Because it's what he does. I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom that they could make him look so brilliant doing it when that's one of Leicester's major threats. Vardy's got 10 and 11 appearances against Arsenal and 7 and 11 against Liverpool. I think, you know, he's, he's in the big games, Vardy, I don't know if it's something about the fact that 
you know, these these are playing against teams who are going to come out and probably dominate, try and dominate the ball, you know, more than Leicester, and that gives the space for Vardy in behind. But it's not just that; he's really he's, he's kind of tailored his game as he's as he's got older, and you know, I think Rogers deserves some credit for that too, and that he's conserving a bit more energy. But also, you know, even even when teams kind of sit back and don't give, don't allow him that space in behind to be, you know, which is his primary threat, he's still he's still kind of managing to snaffle the yards of space in the box and produce finishes like he did there. So, um, yeah, I mean, Vardy, Vardy keeps going from strength to strength and it's, it's remarkable. Great story. I did see um, one comment made. I can't remember what I, was, what I was watching in terms of the analysis, but one of the pundits did say the old Jamie Vardy would make 50 runs and get the ball, you know, seven or eight times. Now he makes 10 runs and gets the ball seven or eight times. You know, that conservation of energy at his age, we saw what he did last season. You're right, you do have to credit Brendan Rodgers with that. But in front of goal, I mean, you just don't doubt his mentality either. You know, this is a player who hasn't been in the Premier League for their entire career. You know, he steps up to take a penalty. You never really think there's a chance of him missing it, to be honest. And even in front of goal, in and around the penalty box, you know, he's as sharp as anyone. Um, I'm not even going to mention England, to be perfectly honest. I was thinking about it for a second, but um, but yeah, he just he does seem to get better. It's it's he's ageless. Well, he does. I'll, I'll mention England if you weren't there, because I I I <laughs> I, uh, I sort of yeah I criticised him for it in the sense of you know his, his life, his decision. But I was just disappointed by it, and, and I just felt it was premature. But and then Mrs. Mrs. Vardy got very ups, upset with me. But I think you know I I guess if you flip it and see it from their, her point of view and as you say to back your point up there was a certainty about him he just thought well I'm not you know I think I should play I'm not playing therefore I'm walking away and there was a sort of almost conviction about that that maybe is say the same conviction in himself that we see um, from the penalty spot and that you know uh, and I was I was literally listening to the radio when the game was live and heard about the the, the flick goal and they were just saying you know Make sure you get to, to to watch match of the day just just for that goal and and it and it was worth it. It's just one of those, yeah. I mean, we all know the certain types of goals he can score and those you know, fleeting through, dashing through behind on on the shoulder, etc. But uh, that was just yeah. It was one of the. I love a goal that has a, a flick or a bit of deaf, deafness about it. Yeah, they're my favourite goals more than the the cannonballs and um, yeah. That's 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 the new bar for the season for me to be to be beaten. We get very sniffy about players who turn their back, in inverted commas, on their country. But sometimes, especially when you're getting on a bit, surely you have to work out whether you sort of eke out your career, giving a little bit to your club, a little bit now and again to your country, or you go wholeheartedly into thinking, well, if I only concentrate on one thing and I know what I'm doing, I know who I'm playing with, I know my strengths and weaknesses, I know how tired I get. I can I can I can last a little bit longer. So you've got to say it was the absolute spot on 100% right decision from him because for him he knows how much energy it takes just to be part of the England setup. He might not get on the pitch but knowing that you're a sub and thinking having to watch the game and where you might or might not fit in. I imagine I've not done it myself. I imagine it's incredibly draining and to have that gone from your life would will will give you a new lease of life? I would have thought. Surely, if we're talking about England, could I quickly just say that um, Harvey Barnes has to be close soon too, because he is a he's a remarkable player. I think 
you know, someone power running with the ball, power and pace and kind of but still the ball's always under his kind of mastery. I think he's I think he's an exquisite player. I think I think he's improved as well under Rogers. You know, Rogers gave him the kind of trust. He was he had a really positive spell at West Brom and he was brought back by Puel and it was kind of you know he was in and out briefly, but Rogers has really said, No, you're you know, you're 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 a key player for me and yeah, I think he's going to be a big player for England, actually. Absolutely, he looks he looks different as well this season. He's he's trimmer. He's he just looks like he's he's worked hard on his physique, and uh, he's far more influential and he's clearly more confident. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent on that. I think Harvey Barnes was one of those players. Brendan Rodgers just had to say. I know you can skin anyone just by knocking it past them and going, but at times just get it under control, bring others in. He's learning. He's certainly improved. A lot of competition though on that side of the pitch for him uh, with England. And I think he's added assists this year. I just think in front of goal, that's the one thing that I think he's, he just needs to improve, but a young player who's growing and growing, and I'm sure he'll have a great future uh, with England. Uh, just on Jamie Vardy, little stat for you. Uh, he has now scored two hat-tricks against Pep Guardiola sides. The only other player who has scored one hat-trick against a Pep Guardiola side is Lionel Messi, meaning officially Jamie Vardy is better than Messi. You heard it here first. Uh, you're listening to the game. If you're enjoying us for the first time, by the way, just hit the subscribe button now. You will not miss any of our episodes throughout the season. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, let's talk about football's latest outrage, the latest annoyance with football's rule makers, of course, 2020's version of The Game's Gone, which... It's just hit me, should should really be a feature on this regularly. Uh, the not actually new, new handball rule that is actually now just being enforced. Uh, journalists, players, ex-players, broadcasters, former refs, coaches and managers all incensed by it. There were two big issues this weekend. Uh, Eric Dyer's handball versus Newcastle for Spurs. Joel Ward for Crystal Palace against Everton as well. Who thinks this is the death of the game as we know it? I'm not understating it, by the way. Oh my goodness, it's remarkable, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, yeah, you know, we've got empty stands, we've got actual football clubs that are close to real death, and yet the handball rule is what's going to kill the game here. Um, I don't like it, but I mean, I also really find myself laughing quite heartily at the number of uh, current, even current pros, and certainly lots of ex-pros who are, you know using the capital button on, on Twitter and saying this is killing the game and an outrage and the game's gone. <laughs> it's not gone. It's uh, 
it's, we, look, we, we, we don't like the rule. I think, you know, Roy Hodgson's kind of little, little uh, video clip went viral and there's a reason for that because he just, it was sensible. It's, you just have to sort of step back for a moment and think, why, why did the handball rule exist? It was to stop people, kind of defenders stopping the ball from going on a goal with their hand or strikers controlling it on purpose and scoring a goal or Maradona punching it into the net no matter how hilarious that was as well um, you know so uh, this has just gone it's just go, gone down to a kind of an alleyway which um, which means that any time the ball strikes a defender's hand in particular you know VAR can pick up upon it and you know you see the numbers the numbers there was a, a nugget in Bill in uh, Bill Edgar's column today that that uh, the current rate, there would be 292 penalties this season. And the Premier League record is 112. So, like, I'm sure that's unlikely, but it shows you how, how market the kind of changes. I you know the stats about how many penalties there were in La Liga and Serie A last season. I think it was, like, 48 and 57. And this and the Premier League was 20. 19, yeah. 19, sorry, yeah. Um, you know, it's just... The change is, is remarkable. And you know it's all true. It's just, it's not a rule that any of us like, and it feels it feels unnatural. It doesn't feel like it should exist in football, but it's not killing the game. It certainly gives us a talking point too. Now you can see. I mean, you could. There's a sort. There was. You know, I'm not going to defend the the, the rule. That's for sure. That, I mean, you can offer, I guess, an explanation for the thinking, which was that you know, hmm, let's let's try and find a way of you know, especially given the the, the use of of uh, let's try and make a find a rule that makes this consistent so that because people talk endlessly about subjective decisions etc let's so you can sort of imagine the discussion you know taking place in you know ifab hq um some bunker in the middle of switzerland presumably um but no of 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 you know and why yeah i wonder about that but you'd like to think that they would that's the point where you know Someone would have said, mm, "Yeah, but let's just sort of roll this out and think think of the effects and think of the the." And they've had, you know, I guess what annoys me as someone who thinks that, you know, say if we can't make VAR work, then we're being pretty thick. But what, so what annoys me is that at the 2018 World Cup, this was already shown up to be the glitch. You know, there was I think there was one game was it Iran Portugal I think. Then there was the final itself. Obviously, you know you can't get more high profile than the World Cup final when you've got an argument about a, a handball that's one of those ball you know ball flashes in from a set piece, arm um, sort of jutting out. And so that yeah, that's what really winds me up is that you know we've had two years since that World Cup to to know that these handballs were, you know, the, the game didn't like them. And uh, and that's it. So that that's my frustration. But just, but, but just on that, Matt, we've had two years also as pundits, as as players, as we've seen it two years ago. The idea that like this weekend is the weekend that everyone's gone. Oh my God, this is terrible. It, it was it was it was it was it was terrible two years ago. So surely we we had an idea what Absolutely. it was going to be. Like. That's that's like Gregor says. You know, it's like you know that sort of you go on to, to you know you say you should never judge the world on Twitter. That that no. that lay in that way insanity lies. But it is hilarious when you go onto Twitter and you sort of see you know sort of you try and work out what people are getting more angry about. You know, COVID, Donald Trump's tax returns, or handball. You know, and it's like <laughs> it's you know it's. <laughs> it's, and it's pretty close between the three, and it, you know that's you know that, that that's life. The other thing is that you, you know, the Premier League didn't adopt it. They didn't adopt this rule. You know, now it's kind of IFAB have said this has to be global. 
So that's why there's there's outrage this season, really, because no one really looks outside the outside of England, really, the majority of people, anyway. And and the thing is that when England last tried to say we're doing it our own way with VAR, it was a disaster last season. You know, we, you you couldn't the referees weren't going to go and look at the monitors, um, and they've kind of rolled back on that. So I think we need to be slightly careful. You know, I think we should probably expand our horizons a little bit and see how how Serie A and, and these other leagues are feeling about it now, after a year? I'd say that's, there's some, some relevant questions to be asked about that. The key here, I think, is that IFAB changed the rules on handball and where they had said it may be, it may be a handball offence if um, a defender, the ball strikes his arm. It, it is now, there's no may involved. It is, and I think I think the PGML has have misinterpreted that to mean that all handballs are now penalties, which is not what is meant at all. Because they, what they are what they are what they are allowed to do. They are, what the point IFAB's trying to make is: if you deem it an offence, it is a penalty. You can't get subjective at that point. But there is still room for subjectivity in whether the the defender has made his body in a natural position. And this I was at Spurs on Sunday and this was this is what was really annoying people and Steve Bruce in particular was because he was asked, what would you how are you going to coach your defenders? What are you going to say? And he said, Well you can't tell a defender he can't jump with the player he's marking and not expect him to lift his arms up because it's impossible to jump if you don't do that. So that's really simplistic, isn't it? And you know that if you're eight years old. So why on earth are people on VAR and then the referee, when he looks at his monitor, why have they suddenly out of the blue decided that to jump is an unnatural act when it isn't? Eric Dyer's arm was not in the air. It was not unnatural. The incidents we're discussing, none of them are unnatural. And therefore, under the new rules, you are allowed to say it is not a penalty. The only way it is a penalty is if you decide it's an unnatural position. And I think weirdly, IFAB taking out the fact that if the ball ricochets off someone's knee or if the ball hits your arm and it's very close to you, they are they are not fouls. They are not misdemeanors. You are allowed to get away with that. For some for some reason for some reason it, it, we we here more than any other country as far as I'm aware are are being hyper critical of a defender's positioning. So I think there's room for Mike Riley to put up his hand and say, actually, yet again, we've we've adjusted to VAR badly and to the new rule badly, and we we need to accept what what is meant by a natural. I'm not sure we're the ones being hypercritical on the rule, though. As Gregor pointed out, 57 penalties for handball in Serie A last year, 48 in La Liga. The first half of Juventus against Roma last night, there were two. Uh, you know, uh, uh, and yeah, to be rule. honest, it's the rule. I mean, there were fans in the crowd who didn't look overly happy, but clearly they've learned to accept it somewhat over the last 12 months. But this season, this season, I think we've started like a train, haven't we? In, 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 it's like we're going to overtake the rest of Europe at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the natural silhouette, it says outside the natural silhouette. So 
you know, are we saying, are we, so the problem is that's subjective in itself. How can you, a natural silhouette changes depending upon what, what action you're doing on a pitch. It's like when you saw the Tottenham players now who have been clearly trained to run up and close somebody down with their arms behind their back. I don't know why I'm doing this when you can't see my arms, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's that, that is, that is an unnatural silhouette. That's unnatural. You know, you, you have your arms out by your side to, for balance. Joel Ward's arms were by his side for balance and the ball hit him in his arm and they gave a penalty. That was a natural silhouette. So the idea of this, you know, that's still sub somehow subjective. It's not really. I think they're saying if your arms aren't by your side and it strikes your arm, even if it's accidental, that's a penalty kick. So the, the referees don't have a choice. This isn't the referee's fault. I would say those that say it's going to ruin football... Well, it, it patently has not ruined football in Serie A or La Liga. So I think that's slightly premature. But um, but you're right, there are bigger issues facing football as well, Gregor, aren't there? Go on, Matt. But no, when you say that, the, A, there's the sort of daftness of it's killing the game and it's the death of the game as if, you know, as if football can't, you know, can't survive this. I mean, that, that's, that's just crackers. And also, you know, it's always, any of these debates, I think, always have to be framed in the context, to me, of football has a, you know, absolute core deep culture of arguing about decisions in a way that other sports do not. You know, one of my kids plays, you know, plays uh, a bit of school hockey and they, you know, ball hits the foot, whether it's deliberate or not, you get a penalty. And, you know, that strikes me as, as, as almost, I mean, the game's slightly higher scoring, but it strikes me as the punishment doesn't fit the crime at all. But, you know, you don't get, I don't think the hockey podcasts are full of endless screaming and shouting about, uh, you know, the rights and wrongs to that rule. It's just, you know, people get on with it, shall we say. And I think football, you know, whether it's subjective or we're trying to get this consistency, whatever, wherever we draw the line on this, people are going to get angry. People are going to scream and shout. People are going to say the referee's an idiot. People are going to say, you know, that this doesn't work because that is what we do in football. We scream Matt, and you shout. Clearly, you clearly haven't listened to the latest hockey podcast from the Times, mate. <laughs> it's vicious. It's vicious. And Go on, Greg. But do you not think that this actually, and all of the last couple of years, is kind of making... Well, I don't know, maybe I'm giving people too much credit, but is it not making people realise that referees aren't idiots, actually, and that it was a tough job, and that now it's probably even tougher because they're getting to they're having to watch slow, like, <laughs> marginal, you know, minute kind of slow motion replays to make a decision, which kind of alters the the view of what of an event that they've seen in real time. So, you know, I think part of this makes you think, I'd like, you know, I want, I want the control, the power, and the, of the decisions to be in the hands of the referee more. That, that's what I have gleaned over the last couple of years from after the advent of, of VAR, basically. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, I, I really hope that is... I, I, I actually, yeah, I think that's... What a great end point that would be, though, of, yeah, as you say, of uh, a guy with, you know, two blokes with flags on the side and another bloke watching a... a you know, monitor in his ear and that clears up the worst of the mistakes. And then there's a bit of subjectivity because that is what the job's always going to require. And we all go, that's the, you know. And we great, remember that's... how it was here. And we go, yeah, well, you know, yeah, you yeah. got it wrong, but what was it like before? No, but here's, you know, here's four or five guys, another one holding up a numbers board. <laughs> and, you know, happen. four or five guys doing the best they can. And, you know, they've done, they've cleared up the worst of the mistakes. They might have got a couple of things we might disagree with, but well done, everyone. You know, the game was fair and we trusted them to do the best job possible. And if that ever happens, I'll eat my laptop. <laughs> but Matt, I remember, 
I remember because we've been doing podcasts together for many centuries now. And I remember the days when you would sit in caravans outside of football grounds watching the very, very first attempts at VAR and being absolutely in love with it and saying it was going to save football and people were Luddites if they didn't get it. Can you honestly say now that you like the fact that the referee's there, he sees a couple of a header and a, and a, and a defender jumping, he lets the game go on, uh, the ball's played out, a, a corner is won at the other end and then someone in a bunker says, oh, there might, there might have been, oh, there might have been, an, oh, I don't know, there might have been a handball there. Oh, let's just, let's, let's spend three minutes checking, first of all, it wasn't offside and therefore we don't need to make that decision. Oh, I think he was offside. Oh, right now we have to look at, well, you know, we did actually strike his arm. I mean, he wasn't looking at the ball, but I mean, but we'll oh, I'm under pressure. Do you, do you think, do you think, do you think, Matt, that that is, bears any relation to what you hoped VAR was going to be when you really backed it at the start? Uh, bits, bits that I do, bits that don't. I mean, I, you know, I just <laughs> I come back to I come back to the basic of if we can't make this, it's a bloody, you know, it's a TV and a bloke watching it, and if we can't, you know, it's not people call it technology. It's a bloke and a screen, and if you can't use make that to the use of football, then as I say, we're a bit bloody thick. Um, the fact is that, you know, most other sports have managed to do it. And they're, again, they're, you know, they get some stuff they like, some stuff they don't like. NFL tweets their, the way they used it many, many times. They didn't get it right first year. I think someone's mentioned they even got rid of it, it for a couple of years. That, you know, it took a bit of while. It took some glitches. Cricket has tweaked it endlessly. All these sports have taken the time to, to make it better and better. And that's just, that's it. And if we can't, if football can't make, <coughs> find a way to make it work, then as I say, we're, we're pretty bloody useless. Um, and I don't see that, you know, I just come back to the basic of, you know, if you're, you're going to have 50,000 people in a stadium, X million at home seeing some blunder mistake and they're all going to be screaming, you know, within three seconds, having seen a replay on their phone going, you know, what's that bloody idiot doing? Now, if you don't just help the guy in the middle get that right, then, as I say, we, we're, we're, yeah, we're not, um, we're not very smart, are we? There was a horror show in the NFL last year and they immediately changed the rule so that VAR could have a look at it going into this year or their version of VAR could, which it previously couldn't. So it shows you that you can change. Um, just on this, who's to blame? So many people tweeting pre the Premier League and FIFA. We just want to clarify IFAB. There are eight seats on IFAB. Four of them are taken up by the four home nations FAs that we have. And the other four seats are for the rest of the world's football community. So if it is anyone's fault, it is ours. Okay. Stop blaming the rest of the world or Europe or whoever you think was responsible or Gianni Infantino. Blame us, basically. Well said. Happy, Greg yeah. Happy Gregor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I wanted to end on this handball point or, or discussion with a bit of fun. And I was trying to think of the pinnacle of this. What would cause the absolute most outrage or joy of this handball rule being invoked um, if, at some point, whatever big game it might be or whichever team or player we dislike or like the most for that matter. Who wants to start? I'll start. So Liverpool, Liverpool, Liverpool are going for the decima in uh, the Champions League. And... <laughs> 
they've signed this uh, local lad. Uh, he's called Rodney Cucumber. And he, uh, he's amazing. He's an amazing defender. But uh, he's, got, he's got an enormous nose. <laughs> oh, and, and, and it's, you know, it's 1-1 one, one and die, dying seconds and uh, there's a header and it hits his nose. And the guy on VAR is absolutely convinced that that counts as an unnatural position. <laughs> and, and it's the, it's the hand of Rod and it goes down <laughs> as the day that, the day that football died. Thank you very much, Alison. You can tell Alison's a novelist, definitely. I think uh, Gregor mentioned his, um, his hilarity at uh, Diego's little bit of, I, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, the hand of God in 86. So, I mean, I, it seems obvious to me that the way we want this is, don't we want, you know, St. Harry of Cain scoring a, Score, punching one in against Argentina for England to win the World Cup, basically, don't we? And then <laughs> and, and Gareth being very un-Gareth and going, you know, stuff it. Um, yeah, we've, we've, we've got it back. So, no, that's, that's England win the World Cup th- thanks to a, a, a dodgy handball poetry. Gregor? <laughs> I think, you know, there's no more uh, controversial handball probably other than that in the, from an English perspective than... Uh, Thierry Henry's for France against Republic of Ireland. So I went into some some weird imagination of a future when France and Republic of Ireland were, were drawn in the World Cup 22 playoff. Uh, and coronavirus was still around. And uh, the French, French the French team got locked down, so T- Big Thierry had to come out of retirement and, uh, <laughs> and play against the Irish. And uh, he flicks up the ball. It hits uh, Shane Duffy's arm. And he scores the he scores the winner, and uh, probably has to give him another five million euros to say sorry afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> My one goes out to Tom Clark, and it's the dream. This is a dream for all football fans. A team from the lower leagues, Lincoln City, learning the lessons of their seven-two defeat against Liverpool in the EFL Cup. They go on the Minnows Cup run to end all Minnows Cups runs. The draws kind to them on the way. They reach the quarterfinals, dismiss Everton four-one. They're on to the country's favourite semi-finalists, Manchester United. They beat them. They're back at Wembley for the final. And a chance of redemption against Klopp's Liverpool. Michael Appleton's side have lived the magic of the cup. They've captured the imagination of the, the entire nation. It's been a dream from end to end. And in the match, Lincoln give Liverpool a taste of their own medicine. They're 3-2 up with moments to go. 95th minute, a Liverpool corner. It's headed out. Firmino smashes it at goal it's blocked it ricochets onto a Lincoln hand VAR calls Mike Dean over to have a look at the screen football fans head in hand penalty Salah converts Sunes is absolutely delighted Carragher deletes all of his angry tweets about it Liverpool go on to win the match in extra time and that is what football is now all about overly officious uh, rules guys thank you so much for being with me that was Gregor Robertson Alison Rudd and Matt Dickinson you have been listening to the game podcast uh, from the times if you enjoyed this episode just make sure you give us five stars review us on Apple Podcasts Spotify or Amazon Music or your favourite podcast app hit subscribe and you'll get Thursday's episode as soon as it's released we'll see you soon
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.